and welcome to the Fitness Oracle. I am your host, John Katsavos. My guest today is Marie-Pierre Lucier from Empowered Health. She is a French Canadian that recently transplanted to North Carolina, looking for some quality of life and fuel to follow her dream, empowering individuals to heal their depression. Her passion for health and wellness goes back decades, which is backed by an overflowing bookcase of nutrition, self-help, movement, and mind and body books, and a stack of certificates from meditation, yoga, feng shui, and a variety of other classes, which has led her to the creation of Empowered Health, where she helps people overcome depression. Her programs teach effective techniques proven to boost the immune system, reduce inflammation, and improve both physical and mental health. Marie, welcome to the show. Thanks, John. It's great to be here. So how was the, uh, the her hurricane Isaiah's people? Well, it? It's funny. I don't know what you guys are seeing on the news up in Toronto, but we hardly got anything. I mean, there was a little bit of rain last night, a little bit of wind, but it was actually much calmer than, uh, what we usually get for, for just like the regular summer thunder showers with respects to lightning and stuff like that. So it was kind of funny. It must have looked pretty freaky on your end because I got probably four or five people text me this morning, is your building okay? Are you alive? And I had to send pictures of bright blue skies saying, yeah, guys, I'm good. <laughs> what are you guys talking about? <laughs> uh, here, they were, here they were showing like pictures like in the news, live news feeds of like trees always, almost blown down. And we're like, almost like, wow. This is pretty heavy. <laughs> well, that might have been on the coast, uh, but we're we're in Raleigh, which is about two hours inland from the coast. So, uh, yeah, there wasn't too much here. It wasn't too bad at all. So, thanks for asking. <laughs> That's good. That's good. I'm glad you're safe. Thank you. Uh, so, I wanted to start off with asking you about a blog post that you wrote about, and it kind of hit me a little bit deep because I was reading it. I'm like. I can't do this. So it was the blog post about the coffee, how ah. coffee is bad. And now just to frame this a little bit, why it hit me a little bit, I'm Greek. Mm -hmm. So asking a Greek person to give up coffee is like asking me to give up my right arm. <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of people feel that way for a lot of the other, you know, nutrition advice, like stop eating bread, <laughs> stop eating processed foods. Uh, it's funny you mentioned coffee. I actually did get a lot of responses and posts uh, for that specific blog. And I think the message here is not so much that coffee is bad, uh, but it is a stimulant. And because we're all different, we're all individuals, our body reacts to certain things, including caffeine, uh, a certain way. And so there's no way for us to really know um, how we're going to get be impacted unless we really pay attention to it. And I think the key is, is just learning how we feel uh, in our bodies and our minds afterward. So I'm usually good personally, I'm usually good after one or two, but on some off days when I'm not feeling well, or I'm already a little anxious or nervous or something uh, is happening in my life where I'm feeling a little off balance. That second cup might just put me a little over the edge when, when I start feeling more anxious. And actually anxiety is one of the things that are, have been shown through research um, that coffee tends to cause in excessive amounts. But the problem is there's no such thing as, you know, this is the excessive amount. Everyone's a bit different. So you just need to know for yourself uh, what works. And as we all age, I'm getting older. Uh, I used to be able to drink coffee at eight o'clock at night, not have a problem. Now, if I have anything in the afternoon, I can't sleep. So you have to kind of listen to your body, figure out what needs to work. 
just and play with it. And that's really what it comes down to. So it's okay to drink coffee. Absolutely. As you're long as you best. feel okay afterwards. <laughs> you're the best. <laughs> you're welcome, John. Uh, so I mentioned in the intro that you help people overcome depression. What are some of the tools that you do in order to help that? Because that actually has affected me in my past. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's the idea is looking at your, uh, your health functionally and, and looking at all the different aspects that make your health and make you uh, both physically and mentally well. And so, you know, the biggest one uh, that has a lot of impact on inflammation in the body is nutrition. Uh, so it's what you put in, but also the things that may be missing. So then we look also at supplementation, um, you know, in the, in the pill or drop form, because as we know, our foods just don't have all the nutrients that it did from the soil that our grandparents had, or even generations further back because of modern, um, you know, industrialized farming and whatnot. And so uh, it's really important to make sure that your physical body gets what it needs. Um, and I'm sure you've heard the old adage, you are what you eat, which is kind of corny, but it's actually really true uh, for most of us. So those are like the main things I like to focus on at the beginning. The, and usually people have a very quick uh, response to that. So once they start eliminating certain things or reducing their quantity uh, of eating like sugar or wheat or caffeine, let's say, they'll start feeling better a certain way. And they're like, oh, this works. And so there's an incentive for people to continue on. Uh, then I also look at exercise, of course, as we all know, that's very important and that can mean different things to people. So it's exploring uh, with folks what works for them, uh, what they enjoy, what works for their body, for their current activity level and whatnot. Um, it's also looking at sleep. Sleep is huge. I know some people like to uh, boast that they get to, you know, they, they manage with two or three hours of sleep. I can tell you I need my eight, otherwise no one wants to be around me. Um, and so it's helping people figure out, you know, how much they need uh, tricks to, you know, routines, uh, looking at their bedroom environment to make sure they get optimal sleep um, and get to that REM sleep. And then, of course, it's managing also um, the mind. Uh, and often for most of us in modern society, this quick pace, all the electronics, the constant phone and social media bings and whatnot, uh, we have overactive minds and which can create anxiety and depression often. And so it's through um, exploring meditation, exploring uh, mind calming techniques. I like to use breathing as well. So again, it's, it's uh, working with individuals to figure out what works for them, giving them, uh, introducing them to different tools and helping them uh, create a practice for themselves. It's interesting. You said breathing techniques. Um, which breathing technique do you use? Actually, for the longest time, and I mean over a decade, I used uh, box breathing, which is something I actually was introduced to uh, by one of my counselors as I was going through um, depression, uh, like um, a treat not treatment, but you know, seeing a counselor for that back in my twenties, um, and that actually helped me a lot. And then I it came back again when I started doing yoga, and so it's a tool that I've been using, uh, like I said, for over a decade. But one I started recently is called the Wim Hof method. You might be familiar with it. Uh, it's some crazy Iceman uh, guy from Holland. He's actually hilarious. And I love uh, listening to him, him speak because he's so passionate about it. But he's been able to do these amazing uh, feats of, of nature <laughs> uh, by submersing himself in ice baths for hours by doing this specific breathing technique. 
And I actually found uh, after starting to do it myself, after 48 hours, I could actually feel so much more focused, uh, awake, and actually stronger uh, because I would do it first thing in the morning when I woke up, like still in bed. And then I would do my yoga practice shortly after. And I actually felt physically stronger, um, you know, when I was doing um, some of the different poses and stuff like that. So uh, I was amazed by how quickly um, I was able to see results, but also how, how much of an impact it actually had on my body uh, and mind, actually. Mm-hmm. So highly recommend it if anyone wants to check it out. Um, that was one of the key things that actually helped me get out of it too. I never used uh, the Wim Hof method. I used uh, mm. the martial art method that we use when we're doing uh, breathing. And okay. It's like breathing and connecting your body at the same time. Right. So it's in through your nose, out through your mouth, where I think Wim Hof is in through the mouth, out through the mouth. Uh, I think it's in through the nose, out through the mouth. For Wim Hof? Yes. Then I, I, I saw the videos wrong then. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe I need to go back and watch them myself again. <laughs> no, I, I think you got it right. <laughs> so uh, what was the turning point that pushed you to become a health coach? Uh, that's a great question. Well, so funny enough, um, a number of years ago, I was a project management director at a, a design firm. And I, I had all these, I shouldn't call them that, but kids basically. So really young uh, you know, team members that I spent a lot of time coaching. And I actually found that the part of my job that I loved the most and I got the most fulfillment out of was coaching people and helping them learn new things and grow and just expand their knowledge base. And I thought, wow, this, there's actually a lot to this. I'm actually enjoying this coaching thing. And um, for a number of years, again, I've been working in this project management, construction, healthcare, design work uh, world. And I enjoyed it, but it didn't really satisfy um, you know, that need to give back. And maybe it's one of those things after a while, it's like, okay, it's great. I'm paying my mortgage, but, um, you know, I'm not getting that much satisfaction from it. I wanted to be able to give back to the world. And so, uh, I think I've learned having learned all these different things, um, over the past decade and a half, um, and discovering this love of coaching and helping people learn things. Uh, I felt this was a good time to take, take the plunge and go for it. Cool. Did you ever feel like quitting? Uh, yeah, every odd day. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I mean, there's, I think like all entrepreneurs out there that you speak to, uh, there's great days and there's bad days and we've all had them. Um, and I think especially after a while when you work so hard and it takes a while to see results and you get that kind of fatigue of I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm not seeing results. But unfortunately, I think if you speak to any entrepreneur, whether it's a tech business, coaching, or any other professional, it takes a while to get your name out there. It's, it's any new endeavor usually takes anywhere between 18 to three years to actually start um, producing like a living, living salary or, you know, and so I think this is where patience is key and you never decide to quit on a bad day. So, (laughs) so I think we need to you know, make the best of it. And uh, of course, when we have those rough days, use the techniques in the toolbox, in our toolbox and uh, get back on the horse the next day. Yeah. So what are some of the things that keeps you motivated during those bad days? Well, funny enough, I just had uh, one of those things just happen. So often it's as simple as getting a little note uh, from someone saying, 
uh, like you were mentioning earlier, you read my blog and it touched you. I get a little note from someone either on LinkedIn or Facebook saying, I love that. Uh, that's so helpful. I did what you suggest or recommended and I found it really helpful or um, getting a note again or an email from someone saying, I'm loving your posts. They're so insightful and they're really touching me. Thank you. You know, so those things from people um, that are actually, that remind me that what I'm doing does matter, that I am uh, making an impact uh, no matter how small, um, you know, my voice is being heard, even though it may not be as loud as I would like to right now. Well, it's all based off of the snowball effect too, right? Absolutely. An, av an avalanche doesn't start just boom. It actually starts from a small little snowball. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what we have to keep reminding ourselves. <laughs> yes. Yes, we do. So what was the hardest thing that you had to do? To start the business, you mean? Yeah. Well, for me personally, getting on camera uh, and doing the vlogs was absolute hell. And it's funny, some people can't relate to that because they have no problems doing it. But uh, I've always been a bit of a wallflower. I don't like to be uh, out in public or even social media. I, I think I had a Facebook account that was inactive for about 14 years <laughs> until, uh, until I, I started to have to open all these different accounts and start posting on Facebook. So um, that was definitely uh, outside of my comfort zone and trying to get comfortable in front of the camera and uh, putting myself out there, putting opinions out there. Um, so, but it's much easier now after a few months of practice. And so I'm actually starting to enjoy it, which is unexpected, but good. That's very good. Uh, so your message this, you know, your message would be like, basically just, just do it and just put it out there. Absolutely. I think um, often what holds us back is our own fear. Uh, and so you won't know what you're capable of unless you try. And there are so many things that uh, this course that we were on forced me to do that I never imagined or desired to do. And um, now I'm thinking I have learned and done so much, so much more than I thought I could ever do. It's actually really empowering because it's like, wow, I can do this. I did this. And um, it's really pushed me out of my comfort zone. And I think it's given me a bit of a, a pace or ability to say, okay, well, I, I did this. So now I can try that and actually be successful too. So I think it's a great thing to uh, remember. Uh, we all have this ability to learn old dog, new tricks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's interesting. You actually mentioned a key word right there that actually always sticks out with me. Uh, the word fear. Um, I always say that fear has two outcomes for people. It will either make you stop or either make you lead you to successes that un, unknown to you. But in the moment of fear, how do you react and what do you do to get out of it? Oh, that's a good question. Um, often it's really just a little self-talk. And when it gets really bad, sometimes I actually have to run to a mirror and look at myself in the face and have those pep talks like I used to have with my team, with my staff when we were having an issue and they just wanted to quit or they couldn't get around it. And often for me, the, the other thing that helps is um, getting outside, getting some fresh air, going for a walk, even if it's minus 20 in the winter, you know, like we have in Toronto. Uh, it's just getting outside, getting some fresh air, change of scenery, 
get myself out of the environment that's caused a little bit of anxiety perhaps and uh, just head back in and then go for it. Cool. I have something with, I just do it. <laughs> okay, you're better than me. I need a little bit of pr preparation before I can just dive in then. <laughs> no, just, just do it and as wherever the pieces fall, they, they lay. I can't right. control it. <laughs> exactly. And you know what? That's a great point. I've actually posted a few things on my Instagram recently. It's like progress, not perfection. And I think what a lot of, of what holds us back is this need or this idea that everything that we do needs to be perfect, but there is no such thing as perfection. So like you said, just do it and it's going to happen. And then you just, when you move on, right? Yeah. Um, another thing that you actually just mentioned about perfection um, I used to train a couple of, uh, is uh, Jewish people. Mm -hmm. I had a, Jew, uh, a, a father and two boys okay. and I would have great conversations with the father and he would always tell me, he would always ask me about my failures. Mm. He would never ask me about my successes. Interesting. Because they have a, they have a thing where they measure you on your, on your failures and see what you've learned from them because mm. that's more valuable than actually succeeding. Hmm. So, so I, sorry. So you can track your growth and see what you've been able to come out of or work through. Exactly. Nice. Um, you'd mentioned something about uh, recently about the nervous system dysregulation. Yes. What is that? That is fascinating, and it's something I've just stumbled upon about six weeks ago. Um, it's also known as uh, somatic experiencing or somatic healing, which is all about the nervous system. So the idea behind nervous system dysregulation is we're all born with it, just like animals. So it's like the whole fight, flight, freeze response, which you might be familiar with. So like an animal in the jungle gets attacked like an antelope and you got a lion coming at it and it can either run away. So that's the flight. If it gets caught and then it doesn't want to, you know, it, it doesn't know what to do. It, it will freeze. Um, or if it was like a cheetah going after a lion, they might actually fight. So that's kind of those three mechanisms. And that, that's all the nervous system that or orchestrates all of that. Uh, and what happens with our life experiences and the way our societies and culture have kind of raised us. Uh, we've moved away from what the nervous system actually is intended to do or how it works. So if you go through like, um, um, let's say you're, there's a stress response that's required, whether it's flight, fight, or freeze, and then you get all jacked up on your adrenaline. And I'm sure you felt it if someone, uh, you know, you're near miss on the street, a car misses you because they run like red light, you probably felt it like a flush in the face, your, you, your adrenaline goes through the roof, you might get shortness of breath, or your heart might start beating faster type of thing. So that's your nervous system jacked up to get you to do what it needs to do. But if we don't release it properly, that's what, ha that's when you can get nervous system dysregulation. And what that means is it reduces your your body's ability to handle uh, stress moving forward. Um, so an example could be, uh, let's say you and I are driving down uh, Bloor Street and we get rear-ended. Not bad, it's like a, not, nothing too huge, but um, 
it's everyone's okay, uh, but the car has to be towed or whatever. Well, you may have a bit of neck pain and you're fine the next day, but I might have a freak out and um, struggle to get out of bed the next day and uh, not be able to eat for a month and stuff like that. And so even though we had the same event, um, you, if your system was better regulated than mine, you might be able to handle that stress of that situation better than I do. So um, I may not be explaining it well, but it's, it's basically over time, small things uh, that we do if we don't allow our body to come down from that, um, that jacked up response for fight, flight, or freeze, uh, it will accumulate in the body, kind of like toxicity accumulates in the body, and you're not able to react to any sort of stress. stress. And that could be um, you know, emotional stress from work. Uh, that could be social stress um, through you know, having a fight with your family or something or a friend, or it could be a physical stress, um, like an injury, like we just discussed um, from a car accident or whatever. So um, like I said, it's something I'm just learning about. I'm finding it fascinating. It's fairly new. Um, this whole thing started in the late 80s. Uh, some people started talking about it. I think the, the original founder, his name was Felder, Feldenkrist. Um, he was a European uh, gentleman who started looking into the nervous system and how it affected people's ability to heal. And what we're finding essentially is that all the things we talked about, uh, nutrition, sleep, supplementation, uh, exercise, all of those things are important for both our physical and mental health. But there are some people who even though they eat perfectly, they sleep 12 hours a day, uh, they don't drink any alcohol or coffee, uh, they still have these health conditions that just don't seem to heal. Uh, but they finally do when their nervous system uh, dysregulation is addressed. So there seems to be a huge connectivity between how the nervous system oper operates and uh, the entire wellness of the individual. So. I'm fascinated by it, still learning, um, and I'm hoping to actually integrate that uh, into my programs and my teachings uh, once I get a little bit more familiar with it. Cool. Is there anything anybody can do like right now to um, find whether or not they have this uh, nervous system dysregulation? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think a lot of the symptoms, uh, and I think the biggest, the biggest, well, first of all, we all have some at some level or another, uh, especially in Western society. Um, I think if you lived in the Amazon, like in the good old days, <laughs> you're probably pretty good. But I think anyone in a Western kind of culture uh, is pretty beat up. <laughs> uh, so generally, I say we all have some level of, of nervous system dysregulation. Uh, but some of the very basic things that we've lost uh, and we've never been, never been taught because I think our parents or grandparents just didn't know because the culture has change, changed and forced us to behave a certain way that goes against how our body needs to work. Um, so this is a really bad example or maybe a, like a gross example, but think about, okay, when you need to go to the bathroom, whether it's pee or whatever else, think about when you're a kid and you have to go, but the teacher's like, no, you have to hold it until you go. Uh, it's recess or lunchtime type of thing, right? And so that creates dysregulation in your body because you have your nervous system is saying, I got to go, but you're saying, no, you can't. So that's one of the examples um, that I think most people can relate to having grown up in that kind of um, education system. Uh, but other things like uh, another example is a child might fall off their bicycle 
scrape their knee. And I don't know when the last time you did that, but I did that a few weeks ago and it hurts like hell. Um, but often parents will scoop them up and like, and you know, and as the child is reacting and crying and having a little fit because that's, they're expressing that, that nervous system reaction, uh, they're telling them to stop and they're saying, no, no, you're fine. No, no, you're fine. So they're actually not allowing the nervous system to go through what it needs to go through to release that experience. And then, so it gets stuck in the body. Um, so that, those are just a couple uh, little examples that I think we've probably all had. Um, and it's not that pe it's not that it's people's fault in the sense that not, and no one's doing this on purpose. It's just over the years with these cultural expectations and, and learned behaviors, we all do it. Um, and so there's some really minor things, uh, little things that can be done to actually help it um, reset if you wish, but it's not instantaneous and it requires constant work, uh, but you can heal your nervous system. And that's the cool thing. That's really cool. Um, have you implemented in your own life? The nervous system yeah. regulation practice? I have actually. Um, and I've had some pretty significant shifts. Um, I haven't been as quite as good as to continue those things in the past weeks. I took a little, a few days of vacation, uh, but it is something I've noticed that have made a difference. And I think when it comes to that, uh, slow, slowly, but surely is a good thing. It's kind of like the turtle one step at a time. <laughs> That's good. Uh, what was the biggest eye-opening moment in your life? Hmm. Um, honestly, I think for me, that was the beginning of my healing journey for depression and anxiety. Um, and I speak about it during my webinars because that's really what helped me shift. And it's when my doctor told me that I could actually heal this thing, but I would have to change my habits. And I was like, what are you talking about? You can actually heal depression other than popping pills. Like I was always under the impression uh, that, you know, my, I was broken or I was deficient. It was some sort of gene that I inherited from my dad that screwed me up type of thing. And the only way to fix it was to pop a bunch of pills. Right. So, and I think, um, that's unfortunately the way most of mental health is actually, um, dealt with, um, in our society today. And so when, when I was told that I actually could, uh, make, some changes and positive impacts to my mental health by actually changing my habits, uh, like all the things that we've discussed, I was like, oh my God, I can actually do something about it. So I did. It took a while. Uh, I think it took me about three and a half to four years to be able to get off medication completely. Uh, and it was a learning journey because I didn't have like a user's manual or like a guide on what to do. So it was self-discovery, uh, learning, taking classes, reading, uh, trying some stuff, screwing up, <laughs> having to go back. Uh, so it was all kind of trial and error. But in the end, uh, I did. So for me, that was my big learning, my big pivotal moment, I would say. So is this where the uh, Beat the Blues, Feel the Bliss program that you have running? Is this where, is this something that could help people that are suffering from stuff like that? Well, absolutely. And the whole idea behind that program, uh, I put it together because, um, like I said, I was challenged to try to find all the answers and all the different ways that uh, could help or could have actually an impact on my uh, mental well-being. So I wanted to cram as much information as possible 
for people in one place so that they can start implementing these things and start feeling better. And of course, um, there's so many different things that we can look at. So I'm not going to say it includes everything, but it certainly touches on um, six of the, the biggest key points uh, that can impact your mental well-being. And so absolutely, if people, um, you know, take the program and implement these things, they will absolutely see a big difference in their life. Well, when is the next uh, live call? I haven't scheduled it yet because I just had one last week, uh, but I do plan to do them every, uh, every two weeks. So the other one uh, I'll probably be scheduling third week of August. And then the next one will probably be a few weeks later. So after Labor Day, I'll okay. be posting on Facebook. So I'll send you a link. <laughs> okay. And for all those that are listening, um, I am going to be posting all of her links in the show notes. So you guys have complete access to Marie's uh, programs, which are really good. Um, I've been through, I, I've gone through a couple of, a uh, couple of them and they look really, really, really good. Um, Thanks, John. Of course. Uh, with the increase in people suffering from depression because of this lock, this crazy lockdown that we're dealing with. Yeah. What will be the one thing that you could tell them to keep their hopes up? Well, um, I'd like to say, or I'd like to imagine then this is only temporary. Uh, but in the end, there's a lot of tools and a lot of things that you can do for your own mental health. And I think a lot of it, um, first of all, we are social beings. So key is maintaining contact with people. That may be difficult if you live alone, but definitely reach out to friends, whether it's text, whether it's Zoom calls, whether it's meeting in the park for a walk, which we can actually do now because it's nice outside. Um, uh, social connectivity is key for anyone uh, struggling with mental um, wellness issues or concerns. And definitely, like I said, do a routine that works for you, whether that's, you know, exercise or a walk, uh, even if gyms are closed, find a way to get outside, get some fresh air, move, whether it's your bike, a hike, walking, uh, swimming, if you have a pool, um, you know, it, it's getting your hours of sleep and it's eating properly so that you don't feel um, more down by the situation uh, that we're in than we need to. So there are, there are a lot of tools out there. You just need to figure out what works for you. Okay, cool. Where do you see empowered? Where do you see empowered health in the next five years? Well, I know I have my hopes and dreams, and I hope I get there. Um, but what I where I'd really like to be is have reached millions millions of people by then, and it's really about education and empowering people to take care of themselves and to heal themselves with this information. So, I'm hoping that uh, millions of people will have been reached and. Uh, improve their well-being by then. But I'm also hoping to have uh, programs that will be taught in schools so we can re uh, reach the kids and get them to learn early how their body works, how they can take care of themselves and their mental well-being so that they don't become uh, depressed as teenagers and adults. I think it's a lot easier to learn these uh, critical wellness tips early so you get into you develop good healthy habits for yourself early on so you have less to undo and it's just natural and so they hopefully never have to go through what i did cool what about you personally where do you see yourself in five years well what i'd really like to do if we can actually start traveling at some point is uh you know doing the international like circuit route and speaking about this and bringing more awareness to mental health and 
you know, helping people realize like I did years ago that you can do something about this and you are fully in power of your wellness and, you know, teach them what they can do and, and help them develop those habits. That's what I'd really like to do. Cool. Cool. Very cool. So I ask this of all the people that come on the show. Okay. Um, if you could pick up the phone right now and call yourself when you were 20 years old, what would you tell yourself? I would probably uh, tell myself what I just told you now is like, get off your butt. You can do something about this and uh, start taking care of yourself earlier um, rather than what I believed or was told, you know, you're broken, you're useless. You're gonna be on pills for the rest of your life. Deal with it. (laughs) So, and uh, yeah, hopefully I would have been able to get out of this or out of that much sooner and uh, gotten on my feet sooner as well. Looking back now, would you change anything? Mm, Probably change a few things. Um, I think the biggest one though is probably get the guts to start this sooner. Um, As much as I I enjoyed some of my other work, uh, it wasn't as fulfilling as I'm finding this. And so I think if, if I would have had the guts or the balls, whatever you want to call it, to go out on my own and become an entrepreneur. Um, Because this is really about helping people and I get so much satisfaction out of it. It would have been great if I would have been doing this for longer, I think. So. Well, I have a feeling you're going to be doing this for a very long time. (laughs) I I certainly hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What keeps you up at night? Oh, dear. Well, that's a great question. Um, I think right now it's, uh, you know, trying to think of the next step and what to do with this business so I can help reach more people. Cause I think the information is very valuable. Well, I know the information is valuable and I've gotten great feedback from the folks who have gotten, uh, gone through the program already. Uh, but it's trying to find new ways to reach people because most areas are still under lockdown, right? So, um, we're not having, uh, in-person events anymore, um, there's some zoom stuff, but I think people are exhausted with electronics and, uh, social media and whatnot. And so, uh, I, I find the in-person touch, especially for a touchy subject like depression, and mental health, uh, more effective than through, you know, electronics and media and stuff like that. So I think, um, it's trying to find ways to be able to reach and find people so they can, you know learn this information, which is key. Now, this is a little bit of off the cusp question because uh, you said, you said a word there and I I, question popped into my head. Do you think there's a difference in how society views depression between men and women? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think there is, um, there's definitely a stigma and I think, um, women actually have more than two thirds of the percentage of uh, clinical depression. And I think there's a number of reasons for that. Uh, But I think men have the short end of the stick, especially in Western cultures, uh, because I find men are expected to be like the strong supporter and are not supposed to show any weakness. And, you know, so when you admit um, that you have depression or anxiety or any sort of mental health, because of that weird cultural, like man has to be strong. 
Um, it's almost, um, and I know a lot of people are actually afraid um, to come forward with that, especially professionally, because how is that going to impact my job? Because if, you know, if you're seen as being mentally unstable for one reason or another, oh, you probably can't do your job properly. So they're afraid of being looked over and whatnot. And I think that's why it's so important uh, to keep pushing and educating and talking about mental health um, and the awareness of it and what you can do uh, to help fellow colleagues. And actually, there's so many people who have it now, especially, or who have had episodes of it during, uh, you know, this COVID and whatnot. It's, uh, it, I think there is a difference between genders and there's more and more people affected by it. And so we need to be kind and thoughtful and support one another through this because we're all in it together. Do you think that uh, because women are more apt to speak their feelings more than men, that the numbers might be that way because like I said, like they're, they're, they're more apt to, to talk about their feelings where men don't have that um, courage to do so because of how, like, like you said, like how the world's going to view them. I think that's definitely part of it. Uh, and you're right. Women tend to have, that's not everybody, but I would say generally women tend to have a, a better social network through friends and family and stuff. But they also, I think, have um, more of the family stress and the pressure with children and et cetera. And I know that after, you know, especially like um, post-birth, like I'm sure you've heard people, women struggling with all the different like hormone changes and things like that. And so that definitely uh, contributes significantly to postpartum depression and that often doesn't get healed in a timely fashion. So there's a lot of different factors for women um, but I think they are more apt to seek help. Um, I think, you know, generally guys don't like to go to the doctor, right? Uh, whereas women tend to go a little bit more regularly. So I think that's part of it as well. Okay. Well, yeah, I, I know, I don't personally know about, you know, post, um, postpartum depression, yeah. but, uh, my sister suffered a little bit from it. And, right. um, but because I have been through some really hard, hard times with depression, myself mm -hmm. uh i saw the signs right away so i knew how to right. hey come on let's go out let's go out let's go out kind of thing it's amazing that you were able to catch that and help her through that good for you congratulations that's that's really big yeah really no big. her boys need the mother absolutely <laughs> her boys need a mom <laughs> absolutely uh so where can people find more about you well i do have a website uh which like you said you will post um under the notes there for the video. And I'm also on all the different social medias, maybe not all of them, but most of them. So Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, uh, you can check that out as well. Um, and of course I have a couple programs like John mentioned, we have the Beat the Blues, Feel the Bliss. And I'm also working on a more detailed, more comprehensive uh, program that includes more information on the gut microbiome, um, what we just talked about as well, uh, nervous system dysregulation, and a whole bunch of other stuff uh, that I do a really deep dive uh, more on nutrition and whatnot for those who like to geek out on information. Awesome. Any final thoughts? Uh, that's a great one. Um, I, think, I think going back to where I started, you can heal yourself. Depression is not a life sentence. It is not something to be ashamed of. Uh, you can heal. The power is all yours. Perfect. Perfect. Well said. So Marie, 
thank you so much. I appreciate everything that you're doing with this program. I think it's, I think you're completely on the ball with it. Uh, don't change, don't change anything. I think it's perfect. Just keep it. <laughs> Thanks, Don. And to everyone out there listening, I wish you a good morning, a good afternoon, or a good night, wherever you may be in this crazy world.